Welcome to this modern education podcast that explores learning from the everyday exchange of thoughts and ideas to the theories and practices behind entire systems. Think education is cool? So do we. So we pair two conversations, learn about our guests, then learn from our guests, share your takeaways, and come back for more. You're listening to Think, Pair, Share with me, Audrey Scott. Father Nate Wills is the director of the Alliance for Catholic Education's Blended Learning Initiatives, faculty in the Marianne Remick Leadership Program, and chaplain for the Notre Dame football team. His research and scholarship support ACE's understanding of how technology and other lovers for change can help empower Catholic school teachers and leaders to have the greatest impact. And after a busy season of studying the ND sidelines for the player to hold each week's prayer medal, I'm glad to welcome him in the off-season to Think Pair Share. Hi, Father Nate. Hi, Audrey. Thanks so much for having me. Glad awesome. to be here. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, I'm I'm really well. Thank you. Well, welcome to season three of Think, Pair, Share. You are the first guest, and we're so excited to kick off a, a new season with everybody. Thank you. Season premiere. I'm honored. That's yes. great. Yeah, you get like top billing, like this is must <laughs> must listen to podcast versus must see TV. Uh, well, we're honored that you are taking a, a little aside in our guest today. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, I have so many things I want to ask you about. I'm going to pretty much jump right in. But okay. um, every season we sort of, the first one, we're just kind of fun. We had some rapid fire. We had some uh, various little questions. A lot of people love this section because it's just a light way to listen to you and get to know you a little bit. Okay. So, but there's, there's no pressure. So I right. so know that. Um, the second season was grab bag. And so we had a, a bag and sort of pulled out questions, um, oh. often seasonal, et cetera. But this year, this season, excuse me, um, I guess it sort of equates to the year 2023, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm doing Notre Dame trivia. Oh, no. All right. Go for it. This, this <laughs> may be tragic and uh, a total disaster, but all right. I'll, I, I'm not uh, not always great at this stuff, but go ahead. Well, I tried to stack the deck a little bit in your favor, but we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Okay. Um, when I'm on a trivia team and they're like, it's Catholic, you know, this, this uh, you know, section is, you know, Catholic trivia. I'm like, oh, no, my whole team's going to be looking to me and then I'm going to like fail something. And so anyway, go ahead. That's great. The pressure. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, no pressure here. And you I can have... edit it out if it's terrible. It's fine. It's not going to be terrible. It's just, I appreciate your uh, sense of humor and, um, and going along with it. I often freeze up when even asked my name, I swear, sometimes if I'm in a, a nerve wracking situation, I said, it'd be horrible on Jeopardy. I might know the answer, but I would not be able to come up with it in a, in a quick fashion. So, um, I feel you on this, but I think, I think you're going to know the first one at the very least. So, okay. True or false? Father Soren's first name is Elliot. Oh, that's false. It was Edward. Uh, and I used to live in St. Edward's Hall, as patron saint. <laughs> Good see. And you got the bonus points. It was bonus points for naming what it really is. So ah, there you go. <laughs> you're off to the races. <laughs> oh, okay. Erected in 1843, what is the oldest building currently standing on campus? Yeah, so that would be Old College. Uh, and <laughs> this is this is definitely second to that because I actually lived in Old College for three years. <laughs> When I was an undergraduate seminary, but uh, it's been a million different things that it's built with the the brick of the lake, as you know, and uh, it's been everything from the campus bakery to the actual, you know, first building. And now it's where our uh, undergraduate seminarians live. That's awesome. I love the extra history that you're giving folks too, because uh, <laughs> it's much better coming from you. So I appreciate that. But yes, good. Oh, good. So I was right in the first. I was like, you know what? I think he has a pretty close tie to both of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of a these lot things. of low ceilings in old college. I banged my head on the ceilings there coming down the stairs a lot. It's not. You fun. know what? I've never been in it. And I know that oh. it's for seminarians. So I guess I don't ever feel like I might be able to knock on the door, but I would love to see the inside sometime. Yeah, I'll take you on a tour sometime. It's really great. Yeah, the little chapel is lovely. And oh. yeah, it's, it's great. It'll take about three minutes to walk through the whole thing. <laughs> well, I'm going to um, I'm gonna take you up on that. I'm going to hold you to that. So thank you. Absolutely. Okay, great. Nice. Um, okay, let's see what uh, the third one is. Um, this was another alternate for the first, excluding old college. What is the oldest building on campus currently being used as a residence hall? 
I'm going to say, all right, so this is this is interesting. Uh, St. Edward's Hall uh, is is uh, the oldest building that's being used as a dorm, but the oldest dorm is actually Soren Hall because it's been continuously used as a, a dorm um, since its since its creation. But Soren Hall um, was actually Notre Dame. Most folks don't know this, but until the 1920s, Notre Dame actually ran a grade school here on campus. And those are the kids, they call them minims, like minimums, you know, like little, little guys. Um, and uh, the minims lived in St. Edward's Hall. I did not know that. That's yeah. really cool. Different from minions, though. <laughs> I, I feel like they probably would have matched the energy of minions. But, uh, but yeah, definitely a different look. Hopefully less violent. <laughs> Maybe just add a little blue. They're already gold, kind of, right? <laughs> less, violent. <laughs> less violent, for sure. That's good. That's great. Oh, cute. I think you might have been teasing us because you're actually really fabulous at this. So. <laughs> <laughs> I give a lot of campus tours, which I love to do. I, I, uh, I love to show Notre Dame to folks. Catholic mm -hmm. Disney World, right? So it's pretty Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. This is a tough one, but I think you, I'm not a tough one, but I think a lot of people don't know the name of it, but I think you will. What is the official name of the Touchdown Jesus mural on the south side of the Hesburgh Library? Yeah, so it's actually, uh, the real name for it is the Word of Life. Uh, and it is, it's a towering mural. Uh, it's really lovely, all made up of different pieces of granite. And, um, it, you know, it was built at a time when Notre Dame uh, just had uh, young men here. So uh, it, it really, when you look at the mural itself, it's supposed to be, you know, Jesus with all these saints and scholars throughout salvation history around him. Um, but it's all guys. And it's kind of a, you know, it's, uh, as we know, you know, throughout church history, um, you know, that's that that is not the case that it was just uh, just affected by men, obviously, from the very beginning from Jesus's time, women played a key role. So um, my favorite part about the the Word of Life mural on the uh, library is that it ends above that main entrance to the library. Mm -hmm. So I always tell my students that I think, you know, the the folks who go in and out of the library become sort of part of the mural, and they mm -hmm. become a part of the next generation of saints and scholars building up the church and uh, continuing to be brilliant and and to do all the things that the saints and prophets did throughout salvation history. That's a very nice thought, actually. Thanks. Hmm, appreciate that. Okay. See, now I feel part of it. <laughs> now I feel more of a part of it than I already did. Um, and I think it's so iconic. I often thought growing up, I'm like, is that sacrilegious that we're calling it touchdown? <laughs> Hopefully God has a sense of humor. Too. Exactly. <laughs> okay. This one might be a little harder. Uh, right. Father, he <laughs> Father Hesburg once served as the rector of which residence hall? Was oh. it I know, right? I don't okay. know this. Okay. okay well, oh, this I'll is give you, this is a multiple Go choice. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I figured yeah. I better make it multiple choice. Um, was it Farley, Flanner, or Fisher? I'm going to go with Farley. Yay. Is that right? Okay. Yes, you got I, it. Yeah. I mean, Flanner would be too young because he mm -hmm. would have already been present when he uh, yeah. uh, built Flanner. And Fisher... Fisher... My older brother lived in Fisher. God bless Fisher Hall. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> If if he would have uh, been rector there, they would have touted it long ago, I'm sure. So Yes, it was Farley, and I'm sure at the time it was all male. Yeah, that's interesting. I, don't, I should have looked up the year, but um, but yeah, I, I didn't realize that either. So, Which university president served as the chaplain of the famous Irish Brigade during the Civil War? I'm going to go with Father Corby. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so a uh, namesake for um, also Corby Hall. Yes, Corby Hall and priests. Will you tell us a little bit about Corby Hall? You probably know better than I. Yeah, so Corby Hall. It's it's funny. It's one of the oldest communities on campus um, because that's where the priests uh, and brothers live and eat and um, and pray together. But it's actually one of the newest buildings on campus because they uh, they took down the old Corby Hall and built a new one. Though most folks, when they look at it, think like, "Oh my gosh, that's a you know old building in really good shape." Because they did such a nice job of really um, making it match the other uh, buildings on campus, and it, it just looks great. Named after Father William Corby, two-time uh, president of the university, there's a great statue of him outside of Corby Hall absolving the troops at Gettysburg. And there's actually a replica of that statue on the battlefield at Gettysburg, which is pretty cool too. Yes, it's a wonderful tribute in both places. Yeah. So 
Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, and one more. This also might be stacked in your favor, but I have to make the nice segue. Can you name the 30th head coach of the University of Notre Dame's football team who went to Ohio State and along with his wife has six children? <laughs> that was that was good. Uh, nice, nice lead up to that. Uh, that is Marcus Freeman. We're so excited to have him as the head coach, and we are oh so gosh. excited, which um, our listeners, if they don't know already, will learn about you, is that you're the chaplain for the football team, and we're excited to talk to you about that uh, a little further on in the podcast. But Great. first, thank you very much. You're a wonderful participant, and I think you got 100% plus, <laughs> plus, 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 so <laughs> you ruined the curve for anybody else. <laughs> I'm grateful. I've, I've lived here for like more than half my life, so I'm glad that I got some things right. <laughs> you did great. I'm going to take your tour. I think that's, that's great. You know, you know, a ton. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, I enjoyed it and hopefully, uh, so you'll have to tune Likewise. in. Um, thank you. Um, each, uh, each month and see what other stuff, because I'm going to have to eventually come up with some stumpers because I, <laughs> I can't use the easy ones. Although you got to come up all... with some prizes too. I mean, I, I'm going to, I want to know what I won here. <laughs> What's... That's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe at Maybe. the end of the season, you can say highest, you know, scoring person gets, um, I don't know. Mm, a prize. Given, all right. I like that very much. All right. Well, I'll be a little uh, friendly competition between uh, colleagues here. So what if I make it ND football tickets? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we already know that's not happening. That's 100% a joke. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, up for raising the stakes after I know I got all of them right. <laughs> well played. All right. Tell us about your path to Notre Dame. Yours is, I know, an interesting one. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, and um, I went to Catholic school my whole life. I'm an older brother and a younger sister, and my parents, um, uh, really all my extended family lives in Minnesota, and uh, it was great. We, I love uh, I love Minnesota. I think it's uh, it was a great place to grow up, and my mom says that, you know, when I was a kid, like probably every kid who went to Catholic school, I would play mass and whatever, but I don't think I was really serious about um, thinking about priesthood until I was in high school. I went to uh, a great Catholic high school called St. Thomas Academy. And um, while I was there, when I was a sophomore, um, the Pope came to Denver in 1993. And a group of folks from my high school actually went to see the Pope in Denver. It was great. Um, there were three priests who went with us. One uh, from my school is Father John Ubel, who's now the the rector of the cathedral at in St. Paul. And then the other two priests uh, actually have become bishops um, since that time. So it was, it was kind of a, an all sarcastic, oh it was gosh. pretty incredible. And, um, they were just so inspiring. And I remember, um, John Paul II speaking to us from this huge Cherry Creek state park. And he said something, I, I, I should look it up because I wonder if he actually said what I remember he said, but it was a simple line that he said, Jesus Christ expects great things from young people. And it really kind of shook me to my core thinking like, I, I thought he meant adults or older folks. And I hadn't really thought of myself as having a vocation and being called by Christ to live that out in any way until really that time. And 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 it really stayed with me. And I just kept coming back to that uh, in a really powerful way to say, what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to live in a way that um, builds up the kingdom of God and uses my gifts? And And so I kept coming back to maybe I'd think about being a priest. No, no, that's kind of, you know, and I ended up having several of, of my teachers at St. Thomas say, Hey, have you ever thought about being a priest? And I'm like, how did you know that? That's, you know, and so it was, it was really great to, uh, to, to have that confirmed. Our, our Holy Cross constitutions talk about the call of God coming from within and from without. And I experienced that with other people kind of saying, hey, have you thought about being a priest? I, I was grateful to God that um, I was led to Holy Cross. My older brother actually came to Notre Dame the year before me. And um, I was like, oh, I want to go anywhere but Notre Dame. That's his place. And I want to go somewhere different. And then I came to visit mm -hmm. here. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is really terrific. I, I think I want to come here too. So, And then I found <laughs> out that they actually had an undergraduate seminary program. My Turns out my parents uh, had met this great and charismatic Holy Cross priest when they had dropped my brother off and he told him about the undergraduate seminary program. And that oh. priest, interestingly, twist here, uh, yeah. that priest will be ordained a bishop next week, uh, Father Pat Neary. 
So he was, uh, yeah, he's a great, uh, a, a great priest. And he, he was eventually my uh, rector in the seminary and, uh, and a great mentor and, uh, and model of faith. So anyway, all those things wow. just kind of lead to uh, uh, me feeling called. And, and honestly, I wish I would, you know, that, that one moment um, of feeling called to the priesthood is, was great, but really honestly, throughout my life, it's been the slow movement of God's grace that really has led me to eventually take final vows and then become ordained a priest. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I just got chills. That is so nice. I've known you for a while. You know, just like sit down. So, hey, how did you feel called? <laughs> <laughs> it's not normally what we chat about maybe at the water cooler, but that's so nice to hear. I really like that. Um, I love it when people will ask me that question and we're like in an elevator or something and you have like 20 seconds. I'm like, well, uh, um, felt called by God. Okay, great. Thanks. Oh my day. gosh. One of the reasons I love being the interviewer in this podcast is that I do get to have a section of time where I get to actually ask you questions that I've always wanted to ask, but mm. you know, it's, it's too important a question to sort of say, Hey, as we're passing in the hallway. <laughs> 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 well, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's really important. Some people search their whole life for mm. feeling a calling or a vocation. What does that sound like? Or what does that feel like? And um, I know it's different for everybody, but that's wonderful to hear um, how you felt about it. And and to have that outside validation, I think mm. it was it was huge. Um, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So that brought you here. You are part of the Institute for Educational Initiatives and the Alliance mm -hmm. for Catholic Education, Remick Leadership Program, Higher Power Learning. You're involved in so many things. Can you kind of tell me how you got started? Yeah, it's actually a nice segue from our previous question because I really felt like as I was going through the seminary, I mean, I was really young. I entered when I was 18 and I thought, you know, gosh, I really want to live the vocation I've been discerning, right? And want to actually see what's out there. And so I ended up doing ACE, the Alliance for Catholic Education, as a part when I was in the seminary. And uh, that hadn't really been done before, which is really exciting and 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 fun. So I I took two years off of my normal formation progression and uh, and asked if I could do uh, the Alliance for Catholic Education program as a teaching fellow. And I taught for two years up at uh, what was called Notre Dame High School back then. Now it's called Notre Dame College Prep, um, a great, great high school on the north side of Chicago, where I taught with some really wonderful friends. And it truly allowed me to find a vocation within a vocation. Um, so education for me really became the vocation within the vocation to find that God was calling me not only to be a Holy Cross priest, but to participate in the mission of education that has been really at the heart of who we are as Holy Cross priests and brothers. And so it it was wonderful. I loved it. I had a great time. I don't think I was a great teacher, but I think it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of energy at least. And it left me with a lot of questions too, right? Like I, I taught religion and I taught computer skills, you know, left brain, right brain type thing. And, um, uh, and I, and I was really fascinated, especially with using technology and how some of these kids who, you know, were just not at all interested in school would come alive in my web design class. And it stuck with me. And after I was ordained a priest, um, after my first assignment, you know, usually the provincial comes to you and said like, okay, well, you know, now what? Well, you know, how will you contribute to our, our shared mission? And and I, you know, I, I thought I would teach high school the rest of my life. And and really, you know, we, we ended up uh, pulling out of Notre Dame High School. And, uh, and so I'm like, oh, no, what do I do now? And uh, and my friend Sean was like, you know, why don't you look into graduate studies? I'm like, what? I don't, I don't think that's no, I, I don't think that's for me. I mean, I'm, I'm a first generation college kid. College was a stretch uh, in, in many ways, and and uh, and you know, bit by bit, I realized that um, I could study the effect of technology on education in you know, graduate school, and and ended up um, really, really enjoying that. I did my doctorate at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Go Badgers. Mm -hmm. I love that. Rich Halverson was my advisor at Wisconsin. He was really wonderful and, and really one of these guys who kind of pushes the envelope on thinking about how we can use technology really creatively in schools. And he connected me with folks who are doing really thoughtful things with video games and learning there at Wisconsin. It was, it was just a wonderful and really generative time um, in my own academic development. And now I get to use that knowledge as I teach in the Remick Leadership Program, and uh, and then I uh, work within the larger Alliance for Catholic Education, um, directing a program called Higher Powered Learning. So it's a lot of fun. My gosh. What do you do in your free time? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we, we haven't even gotten to the chaplaincy part. I love that... Um... 
how you describe it, a vocation within a vocation, or mm. like I was thinking before, I'm like, I wonder if he feels like a dual call mm. because um, you have this passion, obviously for the priesthood and also for education. And I don't know where you find the time, but I would like to learn more about um, some of these things. So help us understand what higher powered learning is. Yeah. Thanks for asking. To your earlier question, I really do see this as a vocation within a vocation. And, and Holy Cross and the congregation of Holy Cross, we see one another and ourselves as educators in faith. And so it really is in everything we do, whether it's parish work, mission work, um, working explicitly in teaching, it, it really is with, a, with an eye toward, um, you know, bringing people to know, love and serve Jesus. So, but my work in higher power learning, it really came out of a desire to help teachers use technology meaningfully in the classroom. And I use that, that word specifically because there's a lot of technology used in classrooms, but not all of it is used meaningfully, I, I would venture to say. And um, much of it came out of uh, my own frustration. I mean, I, I went, when I went to grad school, I started studying, you know, what people were talking about with technology. And it was pretty incremental. Like it was, you know, oh, should we use clickers in the classrooms or, you know, are, uh, you know, our Chromebooks effective? And like, it wasn't until I really saw the, the advent of this idea called blended learning, which was using adaptive computer programs that had really been built for uh, e-learning or cyber schooling, right? Um, and teachers started to use them in the context of a classroom. And I thought like, wow, that is doing something that's really unique because it's solving a, a frustration that I had, right? Like mm -hmm. the frustration was was kind of twofold. One, that all the good tech out there was being used in video games, right? That <laughs> when I was a teacher... Um, I looked at people, you know, playing Halo on the Xbox and mm -hmm. Halo would figure out how good of a player you were and then put you with other players that were that same, you know, mm -hmm. level of skill. For me, that was like 10 year olds. Right. Um, so, um, and you're playing against these people online. I'm like, why doesn't this exist? These algorithms that would figure out how good you are in school and help mm -hmm. you to, to get better. And the other issue that I've been frustrated by is the invitation to differentiation in the classroom. As a teacher going through ACE teaching fellows, my professors would always say, you know, you know, it's really important to differentiate your instruction, to meet every learner where they are, uh, and and to to help them to go from there. And I was like, yeah, 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 I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. That sounds really important. And I gave up on that on like day two because I I couldn't like I couldn't put one lesson plan together, let alone 30, right? And it's so right. tough to do. We, I think we often tell teachers, like, it's really important. It gets down to the, the mission of Catholic education, right? We want to really serve the kids as unique children of God, as created in his image and likeness, and as being unique. They're not, you know, widgets on a, an assembly line, and we shouldn't treat them as such. So the differentiation that I was seeing in teachers who were using technology meaningfully in the classroom empowered them with data in the context of a classroom to make really targeted interventions and really helpful uh, ability groupings and to maximize what they do best and to let the technology do what it does best. That's the empowerment that we talk about. And that's why we call it higher powered learning. I'm amazed. I mean, it's, it's newish to me. I certainly was in school way before they were <laughs> probably even using clickers. <laughs> but, um, but I I love all the advancements. The history of higher power learning, how this came about, was really um, looking at blended learning in Catholic schools and seeing the best of what was being done. And I, I owe just a ton to my original thought partner in this, which was TJ D'Agostino and then my advisor, Rich Halverson, helped out a lot. And then Elizabeth Anthony came to work for the Alliance for Catholic Education and the whole Institute for Educational Initiatives. And she was amazing. And just she and I were the the kind of the, the folks who originally started Higher Powered Learning. And I've had such a privilege to work with wonderful people, you know, Courtney Bradshaw Clay, Francesca Varga, Brian Scully. And now um, I get to work with this great team of Dan Bremer, um, Louis Pochet, and Megan Servins. We're trying to, to bring together innovative folks within uh, education and give them resources of the best of what's out there so that they can continue to do what's best for their kids. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Tell me about some of the successes, some of the challenges. I think teachers are hesitant just in general about innovations in education because they've seen a lot. And so I think there can be a lot of burnout among teachers mm -hmm. who, you know, really want to do what's best for kids, but find that they don't want to do what's latest and trendy and then have it be, you know, have it go out of style the, the next yeah. year. So one of the challenges that I face 
in, in helping teachers to think about using technology in the classroom is that that hesitancy, right? You know, innovation fatigue. Yeah. But I, I think often there's a lot of teachers who look at what we're doing and say, you know, this isn't about the tech. It's about really good teaching. And it's about using the best of what's out there to empower teachers. So we've really been working hard with teachers. We saw some incredible growth in our blended learning schools right before the pandemic hit. And uh, we're building back in a lot of those schools. And um, it, it's been wonderful. Uh, we've been um, really blessed to have the support of the GHR Foundation um, in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, um, a home, my home Archdiocese place, you know, near and dear to my heart. Um, the Bush Foundation has been really supportive too. So um, it's been it's been great to see, you know, really big names in education get behind our work and support Catholic education um, because the the work that the teachers and the principals in those schools are doing is transformative. It's absolutely critically important. Um, they're working with uh, wonderful and great populations of uh, the next generation of the church. And we think it's awesome and want to just empower the teachers as much as we can. Perfect. But I was wondering about that because it feels like um, with the pandemic mm. that people were online more and maybe were, I guess, ultimately are more accepting of some kind of a tech situation. How has that affected higher power learning? The pandemic, you're, you're exactly right. The pandemic, in many ways, pushed a lot of folks online, right? Um, well, pushed everybody online. It, it had a couple effects of, of really um, forcing a lot of schools to um, increase the number of devices that they had um, so that they could, you know, go one-to-one -one so kids had devices at home. Yeah. Um, and it, it really pushed folks into some online learning. Now, the way that that happened, some people, I'm sure, stood back and said, never again. Like, I'm not touching that stuff. Um, you know, that that was a disaster. I didn't like it. Um, but, you know, I think some teachers really did think about, well, wait a minute, maybe there's ways in which I can utilize some of these tools of technology that I'd never thought about before. Either way, there's a lot more technology just in Catholic schools in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes people ask the question. So what do we do with this? You know, I think there's a lot of schools that have said, all right, we, we you know, we're beyond the pandemic mothball it, right? Like put it away. Um, we're just going to get back to business as usual in the classroom. But I think a number of schools have said, wait a minute, maybe we can use this meaningfully. Now, I, I'm, I again, come back to that word meaningfully, because I, mm -hmm. I really do think that that we've bridged the gap of connectivity. We bridged the gap of getting kids devices but what we haven't really bridged the gap of is the is the purpose, right? Like, what is the purpose of using technology in the classroom? And I write about this uh, purpose gap a little bit um, uh, in, in in my own scholarship. And and I think that purpose gap is really the mm. the thing that we have to answer. And and you know, in my humble opinion, I think mm. that's uh, that's really using technology um, to empower teachers with actionable data about student performance, um, not just to put them on as a digital babysitter, but to really get helpful data that they can then use to change, shift, and amplify their pedagogy. So I think that's that's the heart of how we bridge that purpose gap. And there's also things that uh, technology can do that it's really hard to do in a classroom, right? Like mm -hmm. it's it's very difficult on a kid to get an answer wrong in class. So, you know, when when they're uh, when a teacher asks a question in front of the whole class and, you know, a kid raises their hand and they get it wrong, yeah. it's very difficult um, for some kids who might not have a huge self-esteem to recover from that. And the next day when the teacher asks a question, that kid's like, no way, no way am I putting my hand up. Um, so there's an author, Jim G, who who writes about um, what school can learn from video games. And one of the things he he borrows a term from Erickson called the psychosocial moratorium. And basically that's the, the social cost of failure, right? Like how high is the cost for you to fail? And, you know, kids fail in video games all the time. It's like part of what you do. You respawn, you restart, um, you go at it again, right? And, yeah. and when kids work on um, these adaptive computer programs in the context of a classroom, um, they don't mind failing. They don't mind restarting. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's just them and their headphones, right? And yeah. so the social cost of failure is low there, and it allows them to um, to fail fast 
and mm-hmm. to get right back up and to make mistakes and to recover. This is how we do like language acquisition. Like when you tell, you know, a, a child who's learning to speak a different language, like, nope, you did it wrong. Like they correct it right away. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a, a really helpful thing that um, that technology can afford um, learners that, um, you know, we can't always afford them in a, in a, in a live one-on-one teacher situation. There is a difficult shift sometimes, especially initially for kids when they're working on computers to be like, okay, wait, this isn't super fun all the time. This is, this is actual work. Like this Mm -hmm. is cognitive load. And I think if you can get them past that initial frustration, I think they really enjoy it um, because it is fun to learn and and it's challenging to learn. There's a great author, Jane McGonigal. She talks about um, the right hard work being something that's exciting to us. Like we tend to think that, you know, what's, what's going to be really fun is that I sit down and, you know, eat chocolate and watch Netflix. And she, you know, you know, quotes these studies that says that actually has a mild depressive effect on us. What we like to do is the right hard work, right? Like we like to do a challenging thing, a puzzle, or we like to, you know, I think this is the the rise of like escape rooms where people are like, Ooh, that's fun because I can, you know, do, um, get these little things right. I can learn something. I can, you know, challenge myself and and to keep growing. And that's what's really fun. Hmm. Wow. I'm learning all kinds of cool stuff today, <laughs> Mother Nate. Thank you. <laughs> um, but that's very true. I've just never named it, I guess. I, I love to do that. How can I like get my mind engaged in one of these things? You know, yes. I appreciate that. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I would love to keep talking about this, but I want to continue on the long list of things that you're fabulous at. <laughs> and so maybe we'll um, jump over to Remick, uh, the Remick Leadership Program. You're a faculty member there. Can you tell me about that work? Yeah. So I'm a faculty member in the Remick Leadership Program, and it is just a wonderful program. I can't say enough about the program. The courses I teach are really their personal and spiritual formation courses. So I get a chance to to be a priest and to be a spiritual guide to these folks. The Remick Leadership Program is a 25-month program where we help aspiring Catholic school principals, some are actually current principals, to know kind of basically what they need to know to be a principal. And we break those down into four main areas. One is instructional leadership, right? Like how do they coach their teachers from good to great? executive management, which is like, you know, how to run a school from budgets to, you know, dealing with the board to fundraising and HR, all that stuff, right? Um, A third area is school culture, right? Like how to create a, a Catholic school culture that is supportive, robustly Catholic, and really aligned to the values that um, that are, are a part of that uh, are at the heart of their school. So to make sure that everything from you know the the way that uh, kids are greeted in the morning to the way that they're disciplined and and you know you communicate with parents is all aligned and really authentically Catholic. Um, and then the fourth um, area is what I work in, which is their their spiritual formation. And as we know that the principles are a really key component, not only in the educational success of students, which they are. Um, but they're also spiritual leaders in their school. They set the tone. They're the ones who can really prepare teachers and and prioritize our Catholic faith and really bring young people to Christ in a in a beautiful and powerful way. And you can't do that if you don't have that, right? Like you can't give what you don't have. And yeah. and we really see it as our responsibility within the Remick Leadership Program to help increase you know, our, our leaders prayer life, um, to really inform them of tools of self-knowledge and to help them understand themselves and others around them so that they can be more compassionate, loving. And, you know, some people come in already really well formed in the faith. All right. You know, I, we have some Nashville Dominicans in our program right now. I do not <laughs> pretend to think that I'm having any effect on them. Uh, they, I'm, I, I think I'm I'm feeding off their holiness, which is which is absolutely wonderful. But really, that's that's the work that I do um, in the Remick Leadership Program, and and we we see this as a really unique program within Catholic education nationwide and and worldwide. We we teach folks from Canada and Ireland, and we really do see this as a holistic approach to forming Catholic school leaders, not just to be smart and good and competent, but to be holy. Done. 
Oh, well, and w- well, with your passion, and I know the wonderful folks that you work with on that team. Oh, it's just the best. Fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen the people come to Remick Summer and just be transformed. It's so yeah. wonderful to be on campus and be in, present with you guys. And then throughout the year, just having that connection. I just, I, I keep hearing from folks that that's wonderful. So oh, um, it is such a privilege. Honestly, uh, you're totally right. Our core team is fantastic, brilliant. Uh, just committed to the mission, fun loving. They're really, they're just like, you know, my friends, my colleagues, um, people who I learn a ton from all the time. I just love them. And, you know, the fact that we get to work with these Remic leaders who who come to us every year, they are incredible. I mean, just incredible. And to be able to stand back and witness the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life, to teach them and to be with them is uh is is a, an incredible privilege and and one of just my favorite parts of my whole life. I see you guys and I see them and I know it can sometimes sound like okay well that's the tagline or whatever but it truly feels transformative for for them and um so we certainly thank you and your whole team obviously for what yeah. you guys are doing. Leadership in Catholic education is tough oh and and it's you know I mean that's a really difficult thing to do and it's often very lonely. Um you know, in, in the same city, there's often very little incentive for collaboration. I mean, schools are competing for the same students, mm-hmm. um, you know, they and, and they just don't have the time. So yeah. to have a network of folks to call upon, it really is one of the best parts of Remick too. And, you know, they help each other out all the time, like sometimes on a daily basis. It really is an incredible nationwide and, and, you know, in other cases, worldwide network of school leaders who are really trying to build each other up and to build up Catholic education. I've heard so much about that cohort and having somebody else that understands, maybe it's just a shoulder or an ear sometimes across the miles, but um, huge, yeah, absolutely. Um, And right now, obviously, uh, um, dedicating your life to education the people who continue and choose to and want to get better at it and stay with it, they're called to it. So grateful to you and all the folks that you work with, all Me those too. leaders. <laughs> okay. I don't think this is the first radio program you've ever been on. Um, <laughs> um, a little birdie told me that you might have been on the Delilah show. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? And is it something you're willing to talk about? That's really funny. Um, yes, that is true. Uh, gosh, now 16 years ago. <laughs> no, this is pretty funny. A, 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 a priest buddy of mine, Father Steve LaCroix, and I always used to joke about Delilah because I totally love listening to Delilah in the car. You know, she's this call-in person and she's, you know, it's all about like love songs. And it's pretty funny. He actually... Um, he he laid out the scenarios. He's, it's either I'm falling in love for the first time, but we're too young, or my boyfriend is a soldier slash trucker slash something where I can't be together and I really miss him, or you know my mom is my rock and you know I just want to shout out to her. You know, like there's these like categories, and he said, you know, if if you threw her a curveball, there's no way she'd be able to respond. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> challenge given. Yeah, challenge accepted. So yeah, it was pretty funny. I was actually coming back from a mass after I'd just been ordained, like literally two, three weeks ordained. And uh, I called and she picked up. Who's this? Hi, this is Nate. Hi, Nate. What can I do for you? And I, I spent like the first 30 seconds being like, I can't believe it's you. <laughs> But it was it was really fun. Um, and, you know, it was actually kind of a cool chance to evangelize. I was ordained a priest two weeks ago. It was just a, an amazing experience. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to share my joy with you and with, with your listeners. And, wait, 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 uh, wait, 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 back up. Talk to me. Y- you are an ordained priest. Yeah, I was ordained a Catholic priest. You are Father Nate. <laughs> she kind of let me uh, monologue at a, at a couple of different points. She was fascinated by the fact that I was a priest, and yeah. um, and it was it was really fun. Like I I got to to talk about the fact that you know her callers call in um, with a deep longing in their life, and we all you know like Saint Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in God alone. And um, it was yeah, I was able to kind of just kind of put that out there and give her a little bit of a, a different caller uh, for her show. So it was it was great. That's cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you ask for a song to be played? I didn't. So this was the point. Like I I said, you know, you have to pick the song. 
And this didn't make it on air, but we, I mean, our, we had like a 10 minute conversation that she edited and whatever. And, um, and she actually said she was between a couple different songs okay. and, um, and she ended up picking, um, uh, this Michael W. Smith song called give it away, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like, um, love isn't love till you give it away. It's not mm-hmm. the, uh, okay. not the red hot chili peppers. Give it away. Give it <laughs> that's away. That's what I thought of. That's yeah. actually, that's I, isn't that the red hot chili peppers? I don't know what, um, know. but, uh, so it, it's a it's a lovely song. It was great. That's awesome. Well, I bet she really enjoyed that. I had saying. fun. <laughs> I, I'm sure she loved it too. I'm sure she loved it too. Well, thank you for being a good sport and uh, telling us about that. Um, mm-hmm. All right, back to our back to our seriousness. Or actually, this is a little bit more of a fun. We started with fun, and now we're closing with a little bit of fun. I suppose. All it's right. Also very serious because um, uh, you're the chaplain for the Notre Dame football team, and I, I think that that is so wonderful. Tell me a little bit. I don't know if you know anything about history of that kind of an appointment. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's a, a tradition that goes way back in Notre Dame athletics uh, to having a chaplain uh, on the sidelines or, or on the team um, for a lot of different sports teams, not just football. So it's it's a really great tradition. And um, I, I think it's it's important. It says a lot about who we are and what we value, that we're not just having coaches and doctors on the sidelines, but also a priest in uh, or, or a chaplain, I should say. Not all of the chaplains for Notre Dame sports teams are priests. Some of them are lay people, and um, which is pretty great. My great friend uh, Stacy Nome is the chaplain for the fencing team, and um, so she nice. she does a great job with them. And it it's just it's a really wonderful role, and um, uh, not something I ever ever thought I would be doing. But I'm really happy and joyful to be doing it. I got a call from yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah. This is kind of how did this uh, come about? You, you yeah, have the red phone. <laughs> well, the funny part is I actually lived with, um, when I was at, in uh, Wisconsin in grad school, um, I lived at a parish with Father Mike Burke, who was the chaplain to the Wisconsin football team, the long, like 40-year chaplain. And, you know, I had a blast with that and learned a ton from him and uh, and thought like, well, that was a cool chapter, whatever, in my life. And then I came back here to Notre Dame and several years passed. And the chaplain to the football team, Father Mark Thiesing, was taking on some new responsibilities. And so he and Father Pete McCormick, the director of our campus ministry program, um, got together and came up with names. And they said, hey, you know, let's ask Nate. And um, I was shocked. It was, it was in the middle of Remick summer and, um, you know, teaching courses and whatever. And they called me and said, you know, hey, would you consider, um, you know, being the chaplain for the football team? And I was like, what? I, I, I said, you know, I said two things. I said, first of all, I'm honored. Yeah. Uh, second, you know, I don't know that much about football, right? And he was great. He said, Nate, we don't need you to call plays. <laughs> we need you to bring them to Jesus. Like we pay a lot of people a lot of money to know everything there is to know about <laughs> football. Um, that's not what we want here. So it, it was a really great thing. And, you know, it, it was one of those moments too, where I, I just, you know, I would often say initially, like, I don't know why I'm here. I, I think this is, you know, I, they got the wrong person or whatever. And I, just because I didn't know what I was doing, but really it's, it's been one of those moments to me to look back on that request from Pete and from Mark um, and to have them call out something that they saw in me that I didn't even see in myself was really really beautiful. And I think this is at the heart of religious life, like living with other priests and brothers, being a part of a religious community. Um, we're often to do what, what's in our constitutions uh, that call uh, tasks beyond talent. Um, <laughs> but it's because um, it's because somebody says, you know, I think you can do this, that you really might be able to, to live into some reality that you wouldn't otherwise see in yourself. And I've been so grateful that that's been a part of this role as a football chaplain. It's been a part of, you know, getting my doctorate and teaching at Notre Dame. I never thought those things would be possible. With the encouragement of people along the way, you learn that I I can do more than I think I can do. And and the limitations we put on ourselves, I think are often our our greatest enemies. And and it sometimes takes other people to call out and say, you know, God has more for you. um, And you can, you can do more. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and with his grace, praise God, we can. Well, I think that you do a fantastic job. Um, oh, I, I've seen you on the big video board. The video oh, yeah. Board. It reminds me a little bit of what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, where even though in this particular instance, maybe you didn't have a suspicion that, that outside folks um, who care about you and know you and see your talents um, were able to call that out a little bit and, and encourage you to step outside your comfort zone. It's been great. It's been a super joyful part of my life. And 
um, the guys have just been so great. I mean, I, I, it's such a privilege to be able to see the other dimensions to our student athletes. I mean, I think everybody mm -hmm. sees what they can do, you know, on, on Saturday and, and the incredible hard work that pays off as they, you know, are just great players. And, you know, they see the, the esprit de corps, they see the brotherhood camaraderie among them. Um, yeah. But I, I get to see their, the, the depth of their faith life. I get to see, you know, when things don't go right and, yeah. um, and just really their, their character and the ways that they just, even now in the off season, you see the ways that they just, they're, they're tenacious and they just grind through these workouts and, and they yeah. keep coming back and encourage one another. It's really, I mean, it's, it's, all consuming and it's a, it's a big commitment. And, uh, I'm just in awe of the work that they do and, and how committed the coaches and staff are. Um, it's just, it's amazing. And I, I wish everybody could see how really wonderful and good these folks are. I mean, coach Freeman, don't get me started. That guy is amazing. And like <laughs> to know, to know him is to love him. He is yeah. just incredible. I've had so many people come up to me this season and just say like, I hope Notre Dame wins because I really like coach Freeman. <laughs> and so I'm sure um, I was one of those. Yeah. It, yeah he's the real sure. deal. Like he really is yeah. a wonderful person, a great dad, um, a great mentor for our, our student athletes. And I, I really um, have appreciated the chance to get to know folks and um, it's, it's been an enormous blessing in my life and something, like I said, I never thought would come about, but it, I mean, maybe, maybe that's how God's grace always is in our lives. Yeah, quite often. But I do love seeing those other elements of people. Yeah. And there's a lot that is necessary to get each one of them there every every day. Yes. And I can only imagine the amount of effort and work go, that goes into it. And and we see that heart. And I think that's why when someone like Coach Freeman comes along, he just like you could just see that he loves it too. And um, yeah. it's just been great to watch. Um, but I'm so glad that, that you're there walking that path with them. What does it feel like in those moments where you're about to pray with them before they go out on the mm -hmm. field? And my guess is that the the room gets quiet even though it's filled with all this energy maybe you can kind of help paint that picture yeah it's it's really amazing those moments usually prayer is the last thing that they do before they run onto the field and so coach will remind them of the game plan encourage them they kind of just give them you know, a little bit of a motivation at the end of it he says let's pray and it's fun coach freeman's actually said father nate and everybody is already kneeling and we all kneel together. We all hold hands and we all pray the Our Father. It really is, it's a special moment because I'll usually wait. They don't start praying until I say Our Father. But I will give them a second to just sit in that silence and then pray. And I think that's a really important moment. Again, that says a lot about who we are as Notre Dame, that we take the moment right before we enter the field to say, Remember who you are, remember whose you are, remember that this is about not just you, but this is about so much more. Everything that we do is for God's glory. Everything that we do is to allow our souls to magnify God's call within us. It's a great moment to say, remember, take some perspective, and then go have fun. So honestly, I have to admit, like they, they do that little embolism, like, you know, um, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever. Mm -hmm. At the end of that. And that whole time, all I am thinking is say the right thing, say the right thing, because my job after that is to say at the beginning of the game, uh, our lady queen of victory, and then they all say, pray for us, and then run out there. Um, and then at the end of the game, I say, Notre Dame, our mother, and then they say, pray for us. So um, I just got to get that right in my head. That's what I'm saying. Do you have like, maybe that sounds silly, but are there like a little bit of butterflies each time? Be like, oh, oh 100%. Okay. 100%. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's a, especially that, I mean, it's, it's, I think it would be tough enough in that setting, let alone knowing it's being broadcast out on, on the field and all over the, the country or the world, I guess. But. No, and they've got such more of a reason to be nervous than I do. I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm nervous for them and everything. And you just want them to win and do their best. And um, yeah, it, it so it, yeah, my role is tiny, but uh, it, but it is it is a lot of fun and it's very very important. I'm so glad that you're there doing that with them and that you're Thanks, that you're enjoying it. You can just tell you're enjoying it. So and yeah. I'm sure they're enjoying you as well. So I think it's a powerful witness to the stadium too. That sometimes they don't show it on the the video screen because they're running late on stuff in the program. But I do think there's a powerful witness when they actually show the guys praying together. And I hope folks and somebody sent me a video 
this year of people in the stands who are praying along with them. And, oh, that was like absolutely wonderful. I was so moved by that, um, that people, you know, find that opportunity to pray together. And um, I just, I loved it. I loved it. I just got chills again. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And, and we um, continue to look forward to, to seeing you on those, on those days so, yeah, you got on the big screen. Yeah. And, and fo follow me online at uh, pray like a champion today on my Instagram. Um, I show the little saint of the day medals uh, for each one of the games, tell a little bit about the saint, and then um, I'll have one of the players hold it in their hand. And um, so the first picture is the saint medal uh, in their hand, and then I'll zoom out and show who the player is. And so it's kind of fun. The guys uh, get a kick out of it and uh, actually had one player this year. And I'm like, hey, can you hold the medal? He's like, I have always wanted to do this. Oh, my gosh, I'm so honored. It was, it was really funny. But uh, that is such a nice thing to do. I I um I, I like to heart those as well. Um, I just saw St. Monica. That was my mom went to St. Monica's school and that oh, was just nice. always a, a special St. Press. Well, yeah, I, but, um, I, I love that tradition and that's so nice. And I, and I bet they do want, want to become a part of that. That's, that's yeah. really a tribute to you though. So thanks. Nicely I'm done. a teacher. I can't help myself. You know, you got to teach. Can't help it. <laughs> it's the vocation within vocation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, on that note, I think this is a no-brainer. Are you a hopeful person? Um, mm. But um, maybe give us a thought about how that might touch some of the aspects of your life. I am a hopeful person. I think, um, and, you know, our, our hope uh, resides in Christ Jesus and in our faith. Um, and I'm a Holy Cross priest. And the, the motto of the Congregation of Holy Cross is, Hail the Cross, our only hope. So um, it's it's beautiful to think about hope as a, a virtue um, and something that's just maybe more needed than ever. Um, and we talk to our remic leaders. We tell them, you know, you're disciples with hope to bring in into the world, and it's it's just really important amidst all of the frustrations and darkness of our world. We need people who have um, uh, who are beacons of hope and have their hope grounded in Christ and his promise and um, and in the victory of the cross um, over sin and death. And I think I, I have a ton of hope uh, because I get to to work with young people. I get to work with um, our hope-filled remic leaders. I get to work with teachers in, in Catholic schools. Um, I live with uh, 277 young men in Keogh Hall um, who are hilarious and Hope filled. I mean, all of that gives me hope for the future. A, a packed chapel on you know Sunday night in my dorm at 9 p.m. Um, I look around and I think about um, the ways in which people talk about the decline of the church, and you know all those are, are real problems, significant issues. But I see the hope of people here at Notre Dame, and I see the the people who just come uh, to our doors um, every year, starving for. Um, to have, you know, that fire within them lit. And, uh, and I think it's, it's just a privilege to be able to do that and to witness the hope that they bring then into our nation and world. And I, I have a ton of hope um, and I have, uh, and it isn't Pollyannish and it isn't um, ungrounded. It's, it's rooted in, um, in our faith and it's rooted in the people who live it out because they're amazing and extraordinary. And I'm, I'm blessed to get to see it within them. I don't know how to end any more perfectly. So <laughs> I will just say thank you. Yeah, um, so well said. And thank you for all of the, all the things that you do and, and for being here with us today and, and sharing some of that with us. And we look forward to following you on Instagram, seeing you on Saturdays and, <laughs> and in the hallways here. And just thank you so much, Father Nate. Yeah, thank you, Audrey. I appreciate the interest and, and I, I appreciate your time and questions. They're really thoughtful. and It's been my pleasure. So thank you. Awesome. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. And thank you all for joining us for Think, Pair, Share. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Check out our website at iei.nd.edu forward slash media for this and other goodies. Thanks for listening. And for now, off we go.